And I tried my best to lay out the uh, way we'll jump around for uh, Chuck working the projector. And if it is confusing, I apologize ahead of time. Um, but it will be Genesis uh, 46. Uh, we'll look here as uh, we've been looking through the story of Joseph. We've actually met on um, the top of the mountain, you could say. The climax of the story is when Joseph has revealed himself uh, to his brothers and realized that the one there uh, who's been judging them and prosecuting them is actually their own flesh and blood. Uh, their brother Joseph, whom they condemned to death and threw him in the pit for slavery. And he's the one who's loving them and saving their life. And so here we have uh, Genesis uh, 46. Now Joseph is of the business of giving them blessing, of, of giving them all that righteousness uh, that he has forgiven them and drawn them near. And it's not just that. Think of your forgiveness before the Lord. He doesn't tolerate you. He draws you into his house. He loves you. And he starts making arrangements for everything you need. We'll see that in this way, God is like a great shepherd. And he's also like a priest. It says, So Israel, meaning Jacob, took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba, finding out that his son is alive. And he offered sacrifices to God, the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, and their little ones, and their wives and wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry them. They also took their livestock and their goods that they had gained uh, in the land of Canaan uh, to come to Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, uh, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters uh, as well, all his offspring he brought into the land of Egypt. So we see Jacob being made aware of the fact that his uh, son Joseph is alive. And the particular concern is that he was promised the land of Canaan. And so we have to remember, this is not just like jumping on uh, the interstate to go for a little vacation. Uh, he is leaving Canaan, uh, the land that was promised uh, to Abraham and to Isaac and to him. And so in that moment in Beersheba, he offers a sacrifice and the Lord comes to him and says, it is good to you, for you to go. You are not uh, rejecting these promises by leaving at this time. And he brings everything with him. Uh, the chapter goes on to describe all 12 of his sons and how those sons had multiplied. And you'll see at the very last verse of chapter 46, the lineage and all the people listed total the number 70. 70 in scripture, meaning 
a type or an image for completeness or fullness or filling out. So in Genesis 10, we saw the word 70. When uh, we're told about the table of nations, all the nations of the world are totaled 70 in Genesis. And so, of course, higher critical scholars or whatever wouldn't, would be wrong to come into uh, the book of the Bible and say, oh, well, see, like how, how, how um, simplistic is the scriptures to say there's only 70 nations in the whole world? That's not uh, how Hebrew literature works. They're not saying there's literally 70. 70 is, a, is an image to say a fullness of the world. And the same way here, you have 70, 70 children of children's. That is, the nation of Israel is beginning to fill up. Jesus took 12 disciples and then 70 disciples. Jesus, uh, Jacob had 12 sons and now uh, 70. Chapter 47. We're told after Joseph uh, made the plan. Well, we'll go with uh, 46. Um, Twenty-eight, forty-six, twenty-eight. Now he had sent Judah ahead of him, <clears throat> and uh, Joseph uh, to show the way to Joseph in the land of Goshen. And then Joseph prepared his chariot and went to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented uh, himself to him and fell on his neck as he did with his brothers and wept on his neck for a good while. Expression of just. Pure joy and close love. Israel said to Joseph, Now, this praise is beautiful. Now let me die, since I have seen your face, and I know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his uh, brothers and his father's household, Now I will go. Here's the plan of Joseph. I will go to Pharaoh and I will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock. And they have brought their own uh, flocks and their herds with them. Uh, then when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say to him, your servants have been keepers of livestock from your youth even until now. Both we and our fathers, uh, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination uh, to the Egyptians. Every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Skipping down 47.7, after Joseph um, uh, presents his brothers to Pharaoh, and the brothers explain, we are shepherds, and Pharaoh grants them the land of Goshen, it's not over, because then Joseph will present his own father to Pharaoh. Verse 7, then Joseph brought Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them possession in the land of Egypt to the best of the land, the land of Ramses. Verse 13. Now, 
There was no food in the land, for the famine was very severe in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for grain that they bought. And then Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. The word Pharaoh means big house. That's why he uh, developed that name as a dynastic king because he was the guy with all the money. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought the livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for their horses and flocks and herds and donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when uh, that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that all our money is spent. The herds of livestock of my lo- are my Lord's. Therefore nothing is left in the sight of my Lord uh, but our bodies and our land. Why should... I have to say, the the land and the body in Scripture are always related. Adam was made out of the land. Uh, The land vomits you out like a body. The body and the land is given away. Why should uh, we die before your eyes? Both uh, we and our land. Buy us and our land for food. uh, That we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was so severe upon them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them. From one end of Egypt to the other, only the land of the priests did not buy. For the priest had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they do not sell their land. And closing, verse 27 says, Then Israel settled in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in all that they had, and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob's years in the land were 147 years. And so that summarizes or really does tie the picture together to see now that the famine, uh, which was to last seven years, has pressed heavily upon the land. That we only actually have, to this point, discovered only a few years of this seven-year famine. So much so that even the very land of Egypt, um, the breadbasket of the ancient world, Uh, The the place where the Nile flows strong every year and floods into all the residual tributaries, uh, exuding water throughout all the soil that you could just throw seed into the land and then all of a sudden plants would come forth. Even Egypt themselves are feeling the pressure of this famine late into the 5th and 6th and 7th year. So much so that everybody is brought into destitution. Everyone is brought into being serfs, except for two people, which are, we're told, particularly the priests. Because they were given an allotment from Pharaoh, that their land was their own, and they didn't have to uh, pay or 
work for their land. And then Israel. Random strangers from Canaan given land like the priests. What's weird about these guys is they're not Egyptians and they're given so much privilege in the land of Egypt. And in fact, not only are they not Egyptians, they're shepherds. 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, Caesar Augustus did issue a decree for a census. And Joseph and Mary did travel to a small city called Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. And it's there that we're told in Luke 2, as we read this morning, that a myriad of angels appeared to who? Shepherds. Random shepherds keeping watch in the middle of the night. Shepherds doing their duty, sacrificing their time and energy for the sake of these sheep to keep them protected in the worst part of the day and the night. The carnivores are out. The lights are dark. These sheep need watched, and the shepherds are watching. Many different people could have been invited to Jesus' birthday party. Do you like getting invited to birthday parties? Maybe, yes, maybe not. Everybody likes being at the birthday party. Most people don't like having all the attention on them at their birthday party. And everyone likes singing for other people's birthdays. But, I mean, who really likes it when everyone's just looking at you? Some people do. Praise God, you guys are great. Um, (laughs) But anyone could have been invited to Jesus' birthday party. An angelic invitation to shepherds in the field, standing watch, doing their duty in the middle of the night. The angel said to them, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby, a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And his name will be Jesus, he will be born in the city of David. He will be the Savior, Christ the Lord. Baby wrapped in a manger. Christ the Lord. Shepherds, go look at him. Just look at him. That's, do you see why we're even here? That is it. Just to peer upon the glory of Jesus. Just go and be there for his birth. In a manger, that is. Shepherds. All through scripture, God is likened to a shepherd. And of course he should be. He's higher and taller and wiser than all of us. The point of a shepherd, unlike the four-legged sheep... We were made with two, and we can stand a little taller, and we're a lot smarter, and we make good shepherds for sheep. But God, throughout Scripture, is likened to this shepherd who can see it all from beginning to end and guide us, his people, throughout. Looking, tending, caring, guiding, protecting, providing, most principally leading us, keeping us from danger. And so when God himself comes into the world, he comes with a birthday party and only those invited here are shepherds. 
bread from heaven came down to Bethlehem, the city of bread, the house of bread. A lamb, the lamb of God, was born into a manger. The lamb of God was born behind and beside other lambs, other animals. How far of a stretch is it for you and I to lower ourselves to the place of a lamb or an animal? Not nearly as far. Not nearly much of a chasm or humiliation has happened in which God himself assumed something like us and came down to live like us. But so far even lower to be born in a stable, a place where the shepherds keep their livestock. This shepherd of Israel surrounds himself with other shepherds. Do you see what the gift is that actually has been given to us in Christmas? You and I need a shepherd. We don't know where we have come from. And we don't know where we are going. That's the reality of our sheep-like existence. We do not know where we have come from. We just are here. And we don't know where we are going. As Jacob is so occupied with this phrase of Sheol. Well, sure, we do know. And you see, the whole point of life, the whole point of life, is the reality that it is not just what time is the football game, and who's up and who's down. And what's the stock market doing? And how are politics running? And who got off the island? And who gave who the red rose? Do you realize these entertainments are all good and well? But the reality is, you see how when you look at an animal, a sheep grazing in the field, there's a plate of grass, and there's a plate of grass, and there's a plate of grass, and there's a cliff. And they don't know. They're sheep. They can't see the beginning from the end. But do you see that the entertainments and the ruminations of our daily life as humans, we do everything in this great cloud of we do not know where we came from and we do not know where we're going. We need a shepherd. And if it would be the time between the third and the fourth quarter of the game or the commercial break before the bachelor gives away his rose, that one of us sheep would wake up to say, what am I doing here? What is the point of my life? And why am I here and where am I going? There's the moment in which Christmas makes sense. That we have been given a shepherd. Someone who knows. Someone who can see. But not just a shepherd. We've been given a priest. These two images shouldn't match very well. The point of a shepherd is to take care of sheep. Feed them, protect them. And the point of a priest in the Bible is to kill the sheep. Cut their throat. Offer them in sacrifice. We have been given the image of a shepherd who is born in a manger. That doesn't make sense. 
Sheep go in mangers. Shepherd watch over sheep. But what if the shepherd became like one of the sheep? What if the shepherd was born into the manger? What if he assumed a life like us so that he could give his life for us? What if he was also a great shepherd and a great priest that he could save our life and sacrifice our life without killing us as the good shepherd he would? What if he could save us through service? What if the prophetic oracles of Joseph were only laying the foundation for us to realize the incarnation of God upon us? That it is Isaiah who said, He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Like a sheep before a shearer, he was silent and he died. He is a, Isaiah says, suffering servant. He is a shepherd who is born in a manger. Joseph, you see, is like this. We're introduced with Joseph in the beginning of Genesis 37. One of the first things we're told about him is as his brothers, because we know that they are all shepherds, are tending their flocks in the land of Shechem. Joseph's father says, now go. See if it is well with your brothers and their flocks. And that issues us into the whole story of Joseph. Is that Joseph is this man who is watching over his brothers as they watch over the sheep. See, Joseph is a shepherd of shepherds. He is a servant who saves. He is a shepherd of shepherds. He's watching over his very brothers. They see him. Look at this dreamer. They throw him to the pit. They sacrifice him to slavery. But even in that moment, you see, you see the gospel of Jesus Christ. That in the moment of his condemnation and dissension of our sin upon him in death, that was his shepherding of us. That it was in that moment that Jesus only, I mean, Joseph only continued his initial commission to watch over his brothers. He went down to the pit, sold into slavery, and the rest of his life is nothing more than looking out for their well-being. As they condemn him to slavery. That he actually now, in this moment, went down there to watch over them. To shepherd them. To bring them the green pastures. It's a famine. It's hungry. No one has food, and the sheep don't have grass. And he says, I have a land for you. It's called Goshen. He's still shepherding his brothers from the beginning to the end, bringing them in to the blessings of God. And the very condemnation that came upon him was their life. He led ahead of them for life, to sustain life. God put him that way. Do you see how this was all the plan before Christ would come into the world? That he would be at any moment, at every time, your shepherd. He lived his whole life before you. He lived his whole life to guide you. And he lays out blessings on the road for you to eat along the way. To bring you into pasture. To bring you to the land. We're told of Goshen, what is it? The best land in all of Egypt. It's marvelous. How remarkable is that statement in the midst of a famine. When everyone else is being put into servitude and slavery. Joseph has been that kind of shepherd. One that is very much likened to our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he makes a plan as the good shepherd he would do. Joseph is presented before his father and brothers. We're told 
that as Jacob came to him, Joseph, the image, he, he's riding a, a powerful chariot. Why, why are we told that Joseph decided to get on the chariot first to go meet his father? The phrase, it says, Joseph was presented to his father. That phrase only used in scripture when God presents himself to somebody. Joseph is coming to his father with all the glory of Egypt. What is that resurrection? That body he has won you. He has won for you a body of life. He has come to him. Presents his father and says, Father, look at your son. Look at how well I have done. Look at what God has given me. Look at that great Cadillac I parked with the two horses. That chariot that you guys don't even have. Look at what God has given me. Now let me bless you. Let me bless you. I went down to the pit and I'm back. And look at Jacob's response. Now, now let me die. Since I have seen your face. And I know that you are alive. All of Jacob's life. Every time we see him. Perhaps like you and I. We can relate. He has a strong aversion to death. When Joseph's taken from him. In grief and sorrow he says. I will go down to Sheol, to the grave, to be with him. And almost every time Joseph speaks from then on, he's always talking about Sheol and the grave and death. And Benjamin is summoned, and something bad could happen to him. And, and Jacob says, if, if something bad were to fall on Benjamin, it would take my gray hair down to Sheol. I would die of sorrow. And everything flips. And he sees Joseph alive. And he says something he's never would have said before. Let me die. I am satisfied. If God would shepherd you this way. And bring you back to me this way. Now that I see you alive. I can face death. I have something deeper in me. I have a joy that I can hold to. A hope that is present. Do you see the gospel in that? Now that I've seen you alive, Jesus Christ, our great shepherd, led through the pit, coming up with all the glories of Egypt and more, has beat the grave. That you look upon him and say, therefore, I've seen you alive, let me die. I cast myself through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. My shepherd has led the way through Sheol and I will come out alive. Do you see what is happening through this? Psalm 23, alive before his face. Why this plan? Joseph sets up a plan as a good shepherd. And he pulls his brothers aside and says... Now I'm going to go to Pharaoh and speak to him now that you're here. And I'm going to say this and you're going to say this. He says I'm going to say they are shepherds. They've been shepherds their whole life. And then when you come in, because Joseph knows his brothers enough to know that they could possibly screw this up. <laughs> I mean, they aren't the best men ever. But God's working on them. We've seen what the Lord has done in Judah's life. 
And he says, when Pharaoh asks you, what's your occupation? What do you say? We are shepherds. We've been shepherds our whole life. And we brought our flocks with us. And so they do that. And then, of course, Pharaoh responds beautifully and says that you are free to have all the land of Goshen. Now, why? Why this plan? There's two steps to the plan. He brings his brothers to Pharaoh. Then he also brings his father to Pharaoh separately. Joseph tells us why he's doing this. He says, so that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, seeing that every shepherd is an abomination to an Egyptian. So tell them you're a shepherd. Perhaps to get distance from them. Come in. It's a famine. The economy isn't doing too well. It's not doing too well at all. Don't come in and make yourself look like immigrants that are vying for different jobs to bring greater stress upon an already taxed Egyptian economy. Oh, and tell them you're bringing your own flocks so that you wouldn't be a burden upon the Egyptian economy. And also tell them that you're shepherds and that you want to be in the land of Goshen far away so that no one would see me as producing nepotism, perhaps, that I'm bringing down my family to set up my own administration inside of a, an Egyptian government. These kind of things are happening. But particularly the one is Joseph saying, Egyptians do not value shepherds. It's an abomination for an Egyptian to be a shepherd. Not that there weren't Egyptian shepherds. It wasn't a high standard or the job you wanted. If you know how immigration works in America, what job do you want? We always talk about this with the southern border. Similar situation. Well, they're shepherds. Well, all right. Why is this an abomination, though? There's debate and difference on why, because there's no, unlike many other places in which we're told about Egyptian culture in the scriptures that are actually backed by other secular history sources, uh, this one stands alone. We're, we're not sure why there's an abomination for shepherds. The Egyptians had shepherds, they kept flocks. Of course, that's definitely below Pharaoh. He's not going to go be a shepherd, of course. Uh, but, and, and the upper, upper echelons of society, of course, are going to be shepherds. And maybe that's what's going on here. That just tell them you're shepherds. They won't even feel threatened by you. Um, we're told two ways to look at it, I think. Would be, there's something about the shepherd lifestyle that was an abomination uh, to the Egyptians. That is, the Egyptians have the Nile. They're not the ones traveling around the whole world looking for grass for the sheep. They have it made. They're not a nomadic, uh, gypsy-like type of people, a sojourning kind of people. They're stuck right where they're at, and they're perfectly fine with it. So the whole idea of shepherding or nomadic uh, herdsmanship is below them. It's an abomination to them. The one I lean toward, I think, is, is even a, a more full understanding, is that there's something locked in to the way the Egyptians worship that makes the shepherding, at least particularly Hebrew shepherding, an abomination to them. There's three times in scripture uh, that we're told what's an abomination to an Egyptian. We already saw one of them. There was a time in which Joseph had his brothers over to eat. And we're told that none of the Egyptians ate with any of the Hebrews. Because eating with a Hebrew, we're told, was an abomination. Here we're told that shepherding is an abomination. 
But then one more time in Exodus 8, uh, 26, Moses is speaking to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go that they may worship uh, Yahweh in the wilderness, in the desert. Pharaoh says, just do your sacrifices here within our land. And Moses says, we cannot do sacrifices here within the land of Egypt. The offerings and the sacrifices that we will bring to Yahweh will be an abomination to the Egyptians. All three deal with worship. How you eat in the ancient world had to do with worship. Eating food sacrificed to idols. How you shepherd deals with the animals that you offer in sacrifice. And in Exodus 8, we're told that that particular offering of an animal is an abomination. Because they're offering it to Yahweh. And the Egyptians might do sacrifices, but they have a whole system in which their gods are sacred. Kind of like in India with the cow. There was the uh, bull that was sacred to their god Apis. The cow was sacred to Isis. The ram was sacred to Ammon. If you messed up that system within the land of Egypt and you start offering animals to other gods when this animal is supposed to go to that god and that animal is supposed to go to this god, that's an abomination. It, an abomination, a to'eva in Hebrew, is usually associated with a type of uh, cultic or religious or worshipful type of offense. It's, a, it's an offense to someone's uh, religious system. So this shepherding, the way they shepherd, their shepherd, these shepherds are a to'eva, an, an offense to an Egyptian. That was a sidebar. And I can see that I, I did maintain some through that. There it is. We're back. There's a few out there who are like, that was helpful. If you were like, to'eva? <clears throat> so, we have this established that it is offensive. The first part of the plan goes very well. The brothers are brought in. They say the right thing. Joseph is like, thumbs up. They get Goshen. They're, they are granted land. Pharaoh gives them land. Amazing. And then what happens here is the gospel. This is the point. This is the center. Not just the brothers. Jacob comes in. One on one. Jacob and Pharaoh interacting. And their interaction, you have to hear this, is so much different than the interaction with the brothers. The brothers come in and say, we're your servants and we, we, we've been uh, farmers and, 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 and sojourners in a land and the famine was hard and we came here and we brought our own things and we wanted to be over here in Goshen and, and they're, they're posturing in humility. They're looking for a blessing uh, from Pharaoh that Pharaoh would give them something good and they are uh, completely in the position of uh, the, the lower, the caesarean and, uh, and the, uh, the vassal relationship of uh, the servant and the king and we need you to give us something. You don't need anything from us. Please help us. And he responds favorably. He blesses them. All that related to Jacob entering the room privately with Pharaoh. And the tables are turned in a weird change of events. Pharaoh speaks to him as an equal. Speaks to him as an older man, maybe with honor and dignity. And he opens up and Jacob comes in and says, it says that 
Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, how many are the days of your life? And Jacob said, well, the days of my sojourning are 130 years. And few, few and evil have been those days. I have not attained to the days of my fathers who lived longer when they sojourned on the earth in the days of their sojourning. Pharaoh asked, what are the days of the years of your life? Jacob responds, the days of the years of my sojourning. Do you see how he changed the phrase? Egyptians don't like shepherds. Jacob said, I'm a shepherd. I've been sojourning for 130 years. My whole life is just one sojourn. I've never rested. I've never found a home. I've never found a place for peace. I've never found a place to lay my head. I have ran from my brother Esau. I have ran from my father-in-law Laban. I have been running from famine. I've been running from harm. And he can't even run anymore. And he has to be carried around as an old man. And the days of my life have been few. Only 130. And they've been full of evil. And torment. We have entered into something here. This dialogue is more than about sheep and land and famine now. It's not just about this life. It's about the sojourn. It's about the reality that we don't know where we've come from. And we don't know where we are going. But he knows he's going somewhere. And he knows whatever he's been doing between these two times, it has been short and not very pleasant. Do you feel this in your life? Seeking, sojourning, yearning for the city of God. The garden of God. Do you see? There's a context to the story. The context to this story is also the context of our life. The certain context to 130 years. 130 years of a pretty good life. Because if there's a certain context in which you would look at Jacob and say, well, you happen to have food during a famine. You happen to have free land bequeathed to you. And your son happens to be the vice regent of the world. And you lived 130. That's not bad. You might say that. If you were thinking like a mere mortal. If you were thinking like a sheep. If you were thinking, well, there's a little bit of green grass. Maybe I can have a few more days of eating grass before I'm slaughtered. If you think that way, well, I guess it's okay. Watch the football game. What does it matter? But he says, oh, my life, Pharaoh, let me tell you about my life. 130 years, so few and so evil. The context to Genesis 36, 46 and 47, is Genesis 3. The context to your departure to the grave is your departure from the garden. In that context, everything Jacob said makes sense. 130 years is nothing. 
cast out of the garden, from the blessed presence of God, moral corruption preceding mortal corruption, that we were sinners and condemned, and therefore we must eventually die. Whether it be 30 years, 130 years, 300 years, it is all, not life, but a prolonged protraction of inevitable death. That is a sojourn. That is a shepherd's pilgrim's progress. What are the days of our life? The idea, the glory of the gospel is that you and I were made to be forever renewed. Forever renewed with the giving life, the presence of God. The one who is in 1 Timothy 6, who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. You and I are all like trees apart from the energies of the rays of the sun that beam from the essences of God, that exude and keep us alive, sustaining us forever. Being set apart from the God of immortal life means inevitable death, whether it be 300, 130, or 30 years, it will, he promises, be short and evil. This is where we live. This is the world that we live in. And this is the problem that Jacob has known. But he comes and speaks something beautiful to this great man, Pharaoh. In the context of saying how hard his life is, and by the external measures of how you would look at his life, it is short and evil. He's the man with the blessing. We're told that Jacob blessed Pharaoh and he went out from his presence. This poor, old, decrepit man who can't walk, he's a shepherd, comes into Pharaoh's palace and spoke a blessing over him. Spoke a blessing over Pharaoh. Now how could this old crippled man whose life is full of toil and trial be the one with the blessing to speak the blessing over the great man? The highest man of the land, he speaks over him because he's speaking, you see, the gospel of it all from Genesis 3 onward is the blessing of the one who is higher than the tallest man of the land. That is the man, the Lord, the Jesus Christ. He will go on to say, Joseph, watch me. Take me back to the promised land. Let our seed be blessed because there is one coming. There is one coming who is the one who blesses the nations, you see. The nations. This Israel is coming into Egypt to speak a blessing. And they are a nation of shepherd priests. Shepherd priests. Shepherds who actually, see the speaking of a, a blessing is a performative prophetic prayer. That's how blessings are in Scripture. It's not just like a Hallmark card. Hey, Pharaoh, thanks for the land. Um, you know, there's actually a Dick Sportinger's card in there too for you. Because I, I really appreciate the fact that you gave us this land. That's not what's going on here. This isn't a thumbs up Pharaoh. Thanks. The blessings of Scripture are performative speech acts that are prophetic prayers. And they are priestly. Speaking a blessing. If you have the authority on God's name to speak that blessing, God will bring it about. It is performative. And he comes up to Pharaoh, walks right into his palace with all the goat manure on his feet and says, Blessed be you, Pharaoh. 
Because he's speaking from the city of God. He's entered into the city of men and said, be blessed. And he will be blessed. This is the gospel. We close by saying this. Jesus Christ can win the nations. There's a hint. What is implicit becomes explicit. There is this reality in which a shepherd priest will rule the world. Who else gets the land at the end of the story? The shepherds, Israel, and the priests of Egypt. And here is this shepherd doing what priests do. Barakah, blessing, bless you. That should be the Egyptian priest's job. But the priest of Yahweh has come in to the city of pagan gods and spoke the blessing of Yahweh on a man that is greater than him. But Hebrews 7, 7 says, it is a matter of fact that no one is blessed by the lesser. It is always the greater who blesses the lesser. Jacob is greater because he speaks with the authority of the promises of the eternal gospel that we say now to all the nations, to our families, to our own hearts, repent of your sins. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be blessed. If you hear that call, it is a performative action. The Holy Spirit illuminates you and you are blessed. This is how the shepherd will shepherd the nations. The shepherd who was born in a manger. Dear Father God, Lord, we pray that we would see that you are the one who rules the nations. Lord, we pray that we would, as a nation of America, bow on our knees before your throne. Lord, you will make us bow. No one could hold their knee back from Joseph at your appointed time. And there will be no point in which any nation will not bow. For every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the shepherd. He is the priest. All to the glory of the eternal Father. Lord Jesus, as we seek this blessing, let us stand and be blessed as we go into this world as sojourners. In your name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?